0: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No process prohibited by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the
3: Friday, my name is Laura Bradburn and after a late fitness test we have Tony Haggerty sitting in the chair. How are you doing Tony? I'm
4: okay, feeling slightly better, yes. Indeed.
3: Good, good, uh, good to hear. Uh, hopefully you'll make it through to the end of the season and then you can get a good rest up for the before the pre-season starts and everything kicks back into gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are joined as always, or not as always, but uh, as frequently Uh, We do on a Friday afternoon by um, Alan Morrison of Celtic by Numbers and the Huddle Breakdown. How are you doing, Alan?
1: Yeah, very good. Thanks, uh, Laura. Good to see you both.
3: (laughs) Good to be here. Good to be here. Lots of positive things to talk about, not least uh, the result last Sunday, which I have to say uh, as much as uh, I did enjoy it it was probably the most nervous I've been for a match in a while. Um, If you were to ask my family, uh, I was possibly a bit too reliant on the old uh, alcoholic beverages to get me through the 90 minutes, but the less (laughs) said about that, the better. Um, We'll get into that. Um, Before we do, uh, some people watching uh, might have seen that this morning, Celtic posted uh, an interview with uh, majority shareholder Dermot Desmond this morning. Um, The reason for which... uh, Remains unclear, but certainly did provide some answers and raise more questions uh, with some of these answers uh, when you watch the interview. If you've not had a chance, it's about uh, just short of uh, a quarter of an hour, just short of 15 minutes on the website. Um, interesting enough to watch if you're interested in that sort of thing, but there were a few sort of things that came up to me that I, I thought were. Uh, <laughs> Less than satisfactory, but we'll get into that. um Alan, I know you've had a chance to watch it. Tony obviously um has been otherwise engaged, so hasn't had a chance. But Alan, I wanted to get your your thoughts on it, um, just an overarching view before we go into some of the detail of it. What did you think of the interview?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, obviously, any you know communication is usually quite good. These are quite rare utterances. In fact, I can't remember the last time there was uh, an interview with uh, Desmond. I, I mean. I I'm I'm overall confused about his role in the club in all honesty I've never really understood it I mean I get the fact that he's the majority shareholder but to me that doesn't necessarily mean that he has an executive role at the club but that doesn't seem to be the case so I think that's always been a slight confusion of mine obviously it's interesting when he does speak because uh, as I say it, it doesn't happen very often so it's good to get a view from the the top of the of the organisation as to what the thinking is. So uh, yeah, w- welcome to to hear that in that regard. But yeah, a few a few interesting little snippets. I think that we'll probably touch on.
3: Yeah, I, I mean I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of it's it's good to get communication. Unfortunately, in in my estimation, the communication from Celtic, although it's welcome, uh, the content of it hasn't always been welcome. And I did find it interesting that. He chooses to communicate with us during what appears to be uh, us on the brink of a time of great success, where uh, he was very um, sort of absent in terms of his communication last season when, as we all know, it wasn't going quite as well. Um, Tony, before we get into some of the detail, which obviously um, I'll I'll, I'll focus on with Alan um, because we've seen it, um, your thoughts on, you know, do, do you really want to hear from the majority shareholder at this point? You know, if it's not on the field matters, are we really too interested? Maybe I'm setting, yourself, setting you up here, so feel free to bat me down, but what, what are your thoughts when you even saw that the interview was available?
4: I'm a bit like Alan. It's a bit like Harpo speaks, you know what I mean? For those that are, you know, the Marx Brothers, Harpo was the one who never spoke. So, and, and a bit like yourself, I'm like... Yep, yeah, there's a whiff of success in the air. Dermot Desmond's come rolling out. Yep, mm-hmm. wants to attach himself to that. Personally, I don't think anything should detract from St Johnston. Three points, and and the boys. And I think every Celtic supporter, that's all they're focused on this weekend. This nice sideshow, call it what you will. You've had a chance to watch it. I haven't, Alan said there. There's some some nice snippets on it. But I, to be honest, I, I don't particularly care. And I'm, I'm like Alan. I don't actually know what his role is. So if I don't understand somebody's role at the club, I don't know what, know what interesting thing they've got to say about anything really. Uh, oh, oh his full name is Dermot Desmond Majority Shareholder, isn't it? That's his full name because that's what everybody ever says about him, just to kind of justify his role. Like like Brian Rice, ex Hibs and Nottingham Forest. That was his full name. Eventually, you know what I mean? It wasn't Brian Rice? It was ex Hibs and Nottingham Forest. So. Dermot Desmond, comma, majority shareholder. What does that mean? You know, communication is usually good, but I think most Celtic supporters would say it's communication has come a year too late. We wanted communication last year.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Before we go into some of the some of the points that I certainly had an issue with, and, and any that, that Alan you might have had an issue with, I wanted to maybe start on a more positive note. Was there was there anything you took from the interview with Dermot that that maybe you know showing things in a better light for you, or or gave you insight into things that you didn't already have before the interview went to air?
1: Um. <clears throat> I'm trying to think about that and I can't think of anything, to be honest, because <laughs> in all honesty, it just reinforced a few concerns, I suppose. And listen, I, you know, I'm not one of these whose first reaction and last reaction is, you know, to bash the board, because I think as a support, we're probably um, quite, and I'm going to make a big generalisation here, so apologies, you know, Suspicious of of, of authority, <laughs> let's put it that way. Uh, a bit, and 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 have a tendency to be a bit, a bit thrown with those in charge. Uh, probably a lot of football fans are like that. To be fair, um, I tend to try and take people as I find them and take take them at their word in terms of what what they're saying as, as as much as as much as the evidence is there to to back that up. So, um, you know, and the board and and people in charge of the club are not there necessarily to to do everything that I like and want. They're there to. Run a business and a football team, and sometimes to make difficult decisions. So that's just the reality of the, of the world and, and the role that they that they play. But having said all that, no, I, di- I didn't I didn't find anything that was uh, oh great, you know. In fact, the prospect of a never ending uh, Desmond dynasty is, is actually uh, quite worrying. Not because it, it's it's useful to have somebody with obviously tremendous uh, wealth, uh, you know, behind and involved in the club in some respects it's just the sort of um you know that it doesn't that doesn't speak to you about you know fresh ideas and you know fresh impetus and you know getting new people involved and so forth if it's the same family dynasty that that culture that methodology if you like is what got us into trouble in the first place in the 1990s <laughs> you know so you know that, that's that was kind of in the back of my mind really throughout that
3: yeah, I was I was just about to raise that very point. Uh, history repeating itself would not be not be favourable if that was the road we chose to go down. Now, I'm not obviously not uh, saying that the influence of the Desmonds would be anything like the influence of the Kellys, but uh, you know, like uh a process by which uh, fresh ideas and fresh input and impetus is is part of the culture it is something that is always a strength to me um just before i go into some of my more detailed thoughts um i'll say um good good evening all to Dan Turner now i don't know where you're watching from dan but certainly give us a shout and let us know where you're watching from we have uh, live viewers from all over the world so it'd be interesting to hear where you're watching from and Carol has said, yay, Laura has made it out of the pub. I don't know what he's alluding to there. I don't know where he's seen me or what he's seen me doing, but the less said about that, the better. Um, you well,
4: said you were dependent on the alcohol on Sunday, so you were in the pub, so that's... I,
3: uh, I, but, you know, you know I, I, had, uh, I, I did it in the safety of my own home for the benefit of myself and all patrons at all pubs all over the country, I have to say, so... <laughs>
4: And I think Alan's just discovered the new double D meaning for Dermot Desmond. It's the Desmond dynasty. You know what I mean? We so <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, be, be afraid. Be very afraid.
3: Uh, absolutely. No, I, if, You know, I, I watched it with a, a sense of um, sort of false hope that we were going to get something a little bit more um, concrete in terms of an insight into the... Um, workings of the club and maybe some understanding of things that happened at the club last season that put us in the position we were in Um, unfortunately what I heard was uh, Covid being brought up again as an excuse Uh, like I've said before Covid affected everybody in the world not just Celtic and so to me that being brought up as an excuse is not really some road that I want to go down Um, I was also shocked to hear the story about you know that we had decided to let Craig Gordon go before the deal with Foster was finalised. Now, some people might say, I've seen already a comment from somebody I I couldn't bring up saying that Forster's gone down in their estimation. To me, Fraser Forster's entitled to do his negotiations in whatever way he sees fit. It's up to the club to make sure that they have... uh, personnel in place so that they don't leave themselves in the situation they did last season, which was without a goalkeeper. But I have to say, Alan, and I'll get your thoughts on this before coming back to Tony, that the thing that really sort of grinded my gears, if you want to put it that way, was the implication from 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 Dermot Desmond, and I might be paraphrasing here, that, you know, he says supporting Celtic isn't always about supporting during the successful times. Supporting Celtic is about supporting us during the the difficult times. And he was talking there about, you know, the struggles of previous manager Neil Lennon, uh, the struggles of the team and the fact that, you know, Celtic supporters last season voiced their displeasure with with what was going on at the club during that time. My response to that would obviously be... uh, you just communicate with the fans during times of great success. You communicate with them during times of struggle as well. Um So perhaps we could we could both take an element from that. But Alan, what did you make of that comment? I, I, I just feel personally, and again, this is not to set, set anybody up uh, by asking this question, that we've heard constantly over the past two years that we are a support that's entitled. We are a support that only backs the club during times of success and I could point out multiple times during our history where that just absolutely hasn't been the case. You alluded to to the early 90s and the Kellys, you know Mm -hmm. no greater support of Celtic has come than during their darkest hour when it looked like the club would be no more and I just think to come out and say something like that to a supporter base who have been struggling with everything from job security to Mm -hmm. mental health issues during the last two years that's where Covid is an excuse not in the running of a football club but you know, like I say, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll separate mine from yours before.
1: I... <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I, I don't I don't see the Celtic board's role to sort of you know, you know, soothe my brow about whatever worries me uh, in the world, or, or even about Celtic. I see them there to do a professional job and, and run uh, a business and a and a football club uh, e- effectively. And and the and the stuff that he was saying about Lenin, you know, about. Giving him time uh, and about this, this very odd comment about you know you don't get rid of a manager halfway through a season. Well, you know it does happen quite a lot. Yeah. You know you, you need to. You know, I expect the board uh, to remove emotion from these uh, types of decisions and and do make the best decisions for the uh, for the benefit of Celtic Football Club. And if that means getting rid of a manager, then then so be it. That's the that's what needs to be done. So I found that almost. I think he's. I think I, I probably think he's trying to say the right thing, but I, I'd I, 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 you know, that, that sort of sentiment is is not what he's there to do. He's there to you know just to support the 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 executive board <laughs> uh, to actually run run the football club uh, effectively and, and whatever that takes. And the thing that you mentioned, what, what grounded your, gear, your gears, the, the thing for me that was the most disappointing uh, was um, the, the the whole discussion about you know, how they go about recruiting man- the, the manager and the fact that Lowell and Desmond are being delegated authority by the board to find the manager. Um, and again, I, I just don't understand that. To me that, you know, you have you need somebody with some football knowledge uh, uh, to, to, to hire, hire the football person. Now, I would fully expect the board to have final approval and to interview the recommended candidates and make sure that they will fit not just from a football perspective, but from you know a cultural, organisational, etc., all all those things are, are are important for any executive role. But the fact that you know he said you know just confirms really that, that Lowell and Desmond have been running around acting as directors of football for the last twenty years, pretty much. And, that, and I just don't, think, I just don't think that's that's I don't think that's the the right structure, frankly.
3: Yeah, um, interesting to hear him say that and then in the same breath say that he had never heard of Ange Postacoglu and couldn't pronounce his name. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that any of us knew who Postacoglu was. I would say 99%, if not 100% of us, didn't know who he was. But I am growing a little bit tired of this this continued narrative of, yeah, his name's really difficult to produce. You know, we're living in 2022, you just... Read the guy's name and say it. Like it's not a it's not a difficult thing to do, but anyway. Um Tony, I want to get your th- thoughts. Um what have you made so far of some of the things that both Alan and I said of the content of the interview? Is it mm. pretty much what you expected? Are you any more interested to see it now? Like I don't know what where it leaves you in terms of somebody who's who's yet to take it in.
4: I get what Alan's saying that Dermot Desmond has a specific job to act for the executive board. He acted like a majority shareholder last year. He didn't act like a Celtic supporter. See if he did. Celtic would have won 10 in a row. Sometimes sure, you yeah. have to uh, go with your heart. And if you're all in this football club and you claim to be a big supporter, then act like one. Last year was the time to throw the kitchen sink at it, as they say, and secure a unique place in Scottish football history. And they were all found wanting. I remember at the time, paraphrasing... Jock Steen's phrase, and I, and I remember because I said it wrongly. But I said that the the jersey doesn't fit or shrink for inferior players, and I also said that the time, the boardroom table, doesn't shrink for inferior members. And I include Dermot Desmond and Law and all those people who sat there last season and watched that ten in a row train go by. Now I get that they have executive duties, as Alan's alluded to, and other things that are beyond me and would go above my head but they claimed and they all claimed to be Celtic supporters with Celtic's interests at heart. I didn't see that last season because you had to act like that, step up to the plate and, you know, take responsibility and come out and uh, I communicate with the supporters when it was all being derailed but none of that happened. They were found wanting and as much as anything else they, they might be They might structure the club well, they might run the club well, but I find that astonishing that only Dermot Desmond and Peter Lawl.
2: Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022, and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com internet for details.
0: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
4: We're
0: charged with the task
4: of sourcing a new manager. As Alan says, how about getting a football person involved? So, I mean, whoa, how radical is that, you know, like a real football person? Yeah. A football, it's you know, like... Football, stuff like that kinda flabbergasted me. For mm-hmm. such a big cl- club. I've said it before, we we do we do things either on the cheap or we, we look small at times. And that's another instance of it.
3: Yeah, I think like you say, Tony, and we we mentioned it numerous times last season. I I, I know that as a football club and as a business, we need people who are business minded, who are money focused to help <laughs> the club successfully. But that is where the focus should be on that yeah. side of things. And people who know football should be on the on the football side of things, which is is where we we would want it to be. Um, Anne Marie Campbell says on Facebook, anyone else not getting Facebook notifications for live content? Um, I believe coming on this morning that there is an ongoing issue with some of the Facebook feeds. So, um. You know, apologies for that. That's not really anything to do with us, but more the platform that we're using. So we will try and get that sorted for you as soon as possible. Um, hopefully uh, you don't miss out on the content. But as you know, the bulletin is live at 12.30 every day. So even if you don't get a notification, uh, come here Monday to Friday and we will be here. Um, Magnet67 on a positive says, Interesting indeed. The interview explains why more effort wasn't made to keep Gordon. Forster's gone down is, in his estimation. Um, for him, that was the catalyst for losing the 10 no quality keeper I, I can't really disagree with that I thought I thought no quality keeper was a, a major factor um, and lastly before we move on to other things um, CFC1888 says so this uh, is the chat we're going for a treble, and people want to keep criticising I just wanted to bring that up because um, I, I think that you know as much as as much as I'm a Celtic supporter and I want to see us doing well and I will sing us to the high heavens as I did on Sunday when we won I don't think an interview that's put out there to try and placate supporters or to try and um, appease supporters can go by unnoticed. And I'm not the type of person to sit and uh, say nothing if I have criticisms to air on that side. I don't think it's unreasonable to say where you agree or disagree, as long as you're not being personal about it, as long as you're not being... um, You know, out of order with your criticisms, which I don't think any of the three of us have been so far. Then I don't think it's a a bad road to go down. Having said that, we will move on to much more positive things. Um, Alan, I'll come to you first. Uh, Last Sunday. Uh, I have to say, I went into it with a lot more trepidation than I have done uh, recent Rangers matches. Um, I I, I expected more of a challenge than I think we received. Um, How did the match play out in terms of, compared to your expectation of what was going to happen in the 90 minutes?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I I suppose I I started from the perspective that, you know, even if we we lost, we're still going to be top of the league. So, uh, and probably with a better set of fixtures uh, to end the season. So I, I was... I wouldn't say I was sanguine <laughs> I was certainly sitting there kind of uh, very nervous as uh, as the game unfolded especially after the first 7 minutes which were almost disastrous actually uh, so bad so bad where we but then you know you think you know we we expected them to come out they had to win that game for lots of reasons not just the title but the implications that uh, that that brings with it so in that sense it it was huge and and it it was almost one of those cases that that it it was just the result that mattered Um, but you know uh, you know me I look at the performance above everything else and I think once we settled down in the first half because as I say that that first first uh, six seven minutes you know they, they were playing with a great intensity their pressing was very effective our passing was terrible uh we looked like we were just you know caught in the headlights really and the goal came from just disorganisation um the 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 we we tried to do, we we tried to do something which actually worked but it failed us in the first 6 minutes which was we pushed Rogic right up top uh he was playing in many ways the most forward uh player uh, in the team um and and i think what they were trying to do with Jakomakis Rogic Maidan Jota along the front line was they were trying to stop the ball getting into Jack and Lundström, who were both very good at deep, deep passing, and I think that was the game plan essentially. The 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 kind of an impact of that was that when we lost possession, what Rogic should be doing then is funneling back into the right half space, you know, classic number eight position, uh, back into a three. Now, when 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 we uh, lost the ball and they 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 switched it, Rogic was still. Up front, there was an enormous gap. I mean, so three things went wrong. Rogic didn't get back into position. The whole team didn't move across quick enough, uh, apart from Juranovic and Jota, which left an enormous space behind them. And then, you know, Juranovic kind of was ball watching and let Kent Kent run off him. So do three things wrong. I keep saying this. If you do three things wrong, uh, simultaneously, you'll generally concede uh, a very good chance. And that's what happened but but after that we pretty much got got control of the I wouldn't say control but we certainly settled down and and actually the first half numbers at half time were pretty dominant i think the expected goals was something like 1.42 to 0. 0.38 at half time you know we'd had we'd had more shots we'd way more touches in the opposition box than than they had even though we were behind on possession uh we'd actually sort of started to play the game that we associate you know celtic playing and then, but you know, there was still risk there because, as I say, you know, with Rogic pushing up, there was a lot of space behind um, that, that, that they didn't they didn't make use of because again, where they where they fall down, I think is in in general creativity through the team. I thought Ramsey was really really poor. apart, apart from his goal, he just couldn't influence the game. Um, but then, so what, what what happened in the second half was I think you know Plastikoglu saw those gaps and, and and essentially tightened it up, made the team more compact. We dropped back probably 10 yards um, and really, you know, played the way that many clubs play against Celtic, especially at Celtic Park. With that, It wasn't so much a low block, I'd call it a medium block, as McGregor said. I just kept it simple, just pushed them out into the channels. And there were like 32 crosses piled in in the second half. But I mean, R- R- Roof's not the same physical uh, aerial threat as, as Morelos is. Uh, and we, we we generally defended that with ease. There were a couple of scary moments. Uh, Roof got a couple of chances that were, you know, the ball was coming at him uh, at height and he was under pressure. So they weren't great chances. They had one real sh- one real save that, that, that Hart had to make. And we pretty much saw it out very comfortably. And for them, given, given the enormity of what was riding on that game, that would be a very disappointing performance for them, I should imagine.
3: Yeah, I would I would think so. Um, we'll get into some of the intricacies and some of the more detailed parts of, of the stuff that you brought up there. But Tony, I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Obviously, it was a big match, about as big uh, a Glasgow Derby as I can remember, really considering the fact that last season we were so far behind in the league uh, going into this game. There's only a, a gap of three points. How were you feeling going into it and what were your like overriding thoughts of, you know, our performance versus their performance and, and how it ended up.
4: Celtic had a bargain seven minutes.
3: Yeah.
4: End of. And after that, once Roger equalised, I noticed Roger's celebration. He didn't do much when he equalised. Right? And all the players ran towards him and it was a question of, right, we've had a bargain seven minutes, let's get to work. Mm. It, was, it was Junior a celebration like that. Contrast that with Carter Vickers' goal. You see Roger at the edge of the box and he is jumping and dancing and going mental. And you think to yourself, right, that's them in the lead and they're leading. They know, right, we're back in business here. And I think they were genuinely annoyed at themselves at the way they started. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and But like any good team, they, they kind of got knocked down, but they dusted themselves off and got right back into it and quickly. And after that, after they equalised, I genuinely thought, I thought they would win. And I thought they would win actually more convincingly because, and I had that stack to hand as well, on the 32 crosses, I was like 32, 32, remember that. But they weren't under any real pressure, were they? To be fair.
1: uh, uh, Sorry, Tony, I was going to say, I was just dying for that Abada shot to go in because I think if that had gone in, the stands stands would have emptied and that would have just made it a perfect day.
4: (laughs) And that would have been a fairer reflection, actually, Mm -hmm. in in terms of uh, creativity. You know, and, and, and in terms of goal scoring chances created, because Rangers never really created it, apart from Aaron Ramsey's chance. Mm. And Abada has, has had two chances. He's won at the, the near post as well, but the second one where he did the whole goal to him, I don't know how he missed it, but that's, that's nitpicking and you're just being a bit greedy. But had the margin of victory been 3 1, then I don't think anybody would have complained. And I'm like, Alan, I expected, you know, they came out the traps and you're thinking, okay. This is, this is what Ange talks about uh, in in the season ticket uh, renewal video. You know, we adapt to any chaos. So that was chaos, you know, inside three minutes. And they're back in level terms within seven. And Ange, we trust. You trust that football team to adapt to chaos. You know, you really do. So I was kind of like, after three minutes, okay, let's get ourselves back in. I didn't think we would get back in as quickly as I did. But once they did... I was quite, I was fairly relaxed about it all. I'm bearing in mind I'm doing extended man by man's and writing some colour pieces as well, chin strokery thing. Uh, I was still kind of okay. I wasn't really on edge. Second half, I, I saw the thirty-two crosses coming in, and just the way the defence was playing. I'll back up the statistics for the numbers, but I really had faith in the four guys that were in defence. Iranovic had a shaky start, came onto a game. Taylor was excellent. I don't know what his stats were like. Alan will tell me that, but I thought he was excellent. And the the two guys in the middle were just rocks, you know, and, and Rogic for these sixty minute cameo. They on, you know, it was a masterclass. Just, I don't remember him giving the ball away. Yeah, McGregor was my man of the match, and then you had the two up front who were just unbelievable. Alan, you wrote a column on the Celtic way the other day about Maida and Jack Amakis being the living embodiment of Angie's first team work ethic. And I saw two guys who didn't really care who scored the goals and grabbed the glory. They busted their gut for that team on Sunday and they got that result. And I, I was more delighted. I think Jack Amakis mentioned it yesterday. He said he didn't care if he scored. It was all about the team. And I saw a team that was desperate to win that football match. And I saw another team who couldn't really cope and couldn't find a way how to break them down. And like Alan, I, I was kind of like, I thought Rangers were pretty ordinary for a game that meant so much out with the first five or so minutes. Well,
3: but I'm going to get um, Alan to provide us some of the stats that you might have on the game. Mm-hmm. Before I do that, Tony, I just wanted to raise the point that, that Alan did raise and that you brought up yourself. Um, what did you make of, I've seen a lot of people talking about it, you know, you remember the infamous day we were on with with Dan Orlovitz from from the Japan Times back before Ange came in, and we were a little bit shocked at the um, the assumption on his part from from having seen Ange that you know he, he, he didn't have a plan B that it was Plan A if Plan A wasn't working uh, it was Plan A but better. Uh, we were worried about you know the defensive displays of a of a team, but I think I think Sunday proved certainly to me that. Any residual doubt about Andrew's ability to adapt to the game and change the performance and perform defensively appropriately when it was absolutely necessary? We absolutely did that on Sunday, didn't we?
4: That was a team adapting to chaos, as you call it. he calls mm. it. Chaos, and that that team just took that moment of chaos and said, "Okay, we'll dust ourselves down, we're good enough to get back in the game. Trust, trust the process, trusting themselves, and as Jack and Marcus said, believing." that they are a better team than Rangers. And nobody typified that more than Callum McGregor's run into the box in the danger area and say, OK, I'm coming at you. Here we go. And from that moment on, in that move that led to the equaliser, I was fairly confident Celtic would go on and win, and I thought they would win a lot more comfortably. But the they guys just put in a real shift. They they worked it out for themselves. Andy's always saying players work out situations for themselves. They, they assess games for themselves. Celtics sussed that game out pretty quickly after going behind. And it's no surprise that they went in front, what, two minutes before the break hmm. and could have added to it. Because they were... The stats don't say they were dominant, but they were in control of what was happening in that game. In my mind, that's, that's what the eye test taught me. I, I, taught me. I know Rangers threw crosses into the box, but in the end, they were getting more hopeful and desperate. And as Alan said, Roof had a header, didn't he? He beat somebody to went well wide, and he had the volley at the end from Goldson's Cross, which could have gone in. But that apart, nothing else. Nothing trouble Celtic. Absolutely. So in front of them, in the, in the, whatever adaptation they did or whatever tweaks were needed, they, they sussed it out pretty early and, and and got the better Rangers that way.
3: I think they absolutely did. But before we go into a little bit more detail on the defensive performance... <clears throat> You and Boy Martin is asking Alan, what's the stats on Rogic? He was brilliant. Um, Alan, you you brought up Rogic before. Maybe some of the the deficiencies in his performance in the first half certainly that that, that uh you know led to Rangers maybe having some more chances uh, certainly early in the first half. But those those problems were sort of sorted out for the remainder of the match. But what was your summation of Rogic's a performance on on Sunday? Was he? For you, was he a vital part of of getting that victory for us?
1: Yeah, and just for for the record, I wasn't criticising Rogic per se. He was performing the role he was asked to do. Yeah. Um, uh, which, which 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 what was really highlighting was that that came with risks, and at mm-hmm. that risk, that risk manifest into a major issue in the third minute. Um, but in general, the 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 approach, which was as I say, to to press ranges high and to stop the, the, the ball getting into the deep, deep playmakers generally worked very well. Um, if you want all the data on Rogic, go to my numbers, because I did an article on Rogic and his performance uh, yesterday, um, and I, I actually compared him with Aaron Ramsey because they were both on the pitch for sixty odd, 62, 65 minutes each, and, it, and they both scored the opening goals. so it was a nice counterpoint to compare the two of them. Um, Rogic was absolutely integral to Celtic both from that, in terms of the shape and what they were trying to do defensively, defending from the front, but also in terms of nearly all of the uh, attacking play in the first half came through Rogic. Even though he was only on the pitch for 60, uh, whatever it was, 62 minutes, he, he had the most shots of any player on the pitch he had the highest expected goals of any player on the pitch, um, and you know he he also a uh, one secondary assisting pass as well. He had he had the second most touches of in the box of any player on the pitch as well. So, you know the, the, he really was um, the attacking weapon for Celtic. He 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 was brilliant at finding spaces uh, in in his classic kind of inside right role where he picks the ball up, but also in the box. If you look at his heat map for the game. It's in those two areas that he really uh, had more intense action than, than ne- nearly everyone else. And, and as a comparison, you look at Ramsey's heat map and he's kind of picking the ball up all over the place. N- none of it consistently and none of it in areas that were really going to be- hurt Celtic apart from the goal, obviously. So, it, so, yeah, Rogic was absolutely crucial for Celtic in driving um, Celtic forward and being being that attacking outlet
0: This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
1: But he couldn't have done what he did without the three guys with him, Jota, Jacka and Maeda, who 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 did you know, put, who put in an, an enormous amount of work. And in terms of you know, if you look at the data for the game, the outstanding d- data from the game is the number of pressures, uh, and a pressure is when you you're clo- you 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 run to close down an opponent, try and try to make them rush or trying to block the ball when they try and pass it. That's what things think, so pressure is, is that. Um, Maeda, 46 pressures. Giacomac is 47. Jota, 31. They were the three highest uh, numbers from that game on both sides. So those forwards, as you, as Tony rightly said, they were there to to do that work and to create the platform to make life as difficult as possible for the opposition. Uh, and, and Rogic was the one that benefited in terms of the space that 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 created so he, he owes them all a pint, basically, is what I'm saying in terms and, um, of uh, take, their their work rate.
4: You take those two stats, that's one every two
1: minutes from your forwards, yeah. And so, I mean, Maida's got a high average anyway. Um, you mm-hmm. know, he Maida's would average about 27 pressures a, a game, so 46 is, is a significantly higher performance. I think Jack Mackis's uh, overall performance. Is something which probably went a little bit unnoticed. He was actually involved in 17 uh, duels or def- uh, in the game. He was involved. He had 24 defensive actions in the game, which is more than any other player on the, the pitch. I mean, the guy literally ran himself into the ground. Battling, fighting, closing down the opponent, um, trying to trying to you know put them under pressure. Very little of the ball. You know, he had one chance in the first half. He had a good, oh, a good chance actually from a header. Maida didn't have a single shot at goal, but the pair of them created the platform, and Jota created the platform through which Celtic could, could actually ultimately control that game.
4: He had a wonderful pass to Abada as well, didn't
1: he, Jack? Yeah, that was that was very unexpected until until oh, yeah. I realised
4: until I realised un- the first
1: pass. Wasn't played that realise it was it was yeah, I, I didn't wow. believe it until I realised it was a first time pass. So, uh, I think mission, yeah. I, yeah, one touch, yeah. yeah I mean, he, he one if, 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 you, if you ask him to make more than one touch, he's like, as I say, it's, 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 it's a baby <laughs> elephant and a beach ball That's type be thing. True. But <laughs> one touch, is absolutely phenomenal.
4: But it Fair pass, and I thought Abada ruined the opportunity. To be fair, but
1: yeah. His first, it was literally his first touch in the game. I think in the
4: sports highlights, I think it was Michael Stewart that was co-commentating. And when when Jack and Maccas played the pass, he heard Michael Stewart going, oh, oh, as if, oh, wow, what what a pass. You know, he actually, he, he thought out aloud and made a kind of noise like that, you know. So yeah, that's how good it was, to be fair. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And that, that, that was his highlight. But I mean, the the power of work he did for the other 89 and a half minutes off the ball was just phenomenal. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, uh, well, apologies for the name, but I do like the avatar. Turn Ferguson says Dyson Maeda does uh, some amount of running. Uh, you were knackered just watch him. I totally agree with that. Um, Tony, before we go on to, to Maeda and Yakimakis in a little bit more detail, because I think they're two players that it's interesting to talk about, given that they, they haven't endeared themselves to Celtic... Fans' hearts immediately the way some of the other signings have, so it's interesting to see them coming into their own. But just to go back to Rogic that 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 um that Alan was talking about before we do that, I find myself sitting here absolutely flabbergasted that we're talking about Tom Rogic, you know, being such a vital part of this team as he is this season. For me, by a mile, he's having the best uh, season he's ever had in a Celtic shirt now. He's obviously provided us with some iconic moments over the last few over the last decade. The the Scottish Cup final to secure the the treble um, against Aberdeen uh, springs to mind as a major one, but there have certainly been other ones. But what have you made of of Rogic's performance this season and and the kind of cherry on top of the cake that was Sunday? You know, has he has he redefined his legacy for you as a Celtic player in this last season? Do you think?
4: Very much so. He's just married everything together. You know, I, I don't know what other managers couldn't see in Roderick in terms of, because there was always ability there, as you say, there was always those moments, but you could never ever fully bring it together. And that was under a mm-hmm. succession of managers. And I've always said that he could have compiled a DVD of his greatest moments in the Celtic Jersey, but not his greatest games. But in every game that he's played this season, he could probably arguably say it's been better than, than the last. And even just the small details. See the finish in Sunday? The actual finish for his goal? He mm. made it was so simple. And it was pretty difficult. You know, he just spooned that up and lifted it up. He's waited for uh, Alan McGregor to dive. But a lot of guys might have snatched at that and hit it off the diving. Alan McGregor, you know, or, or skied it or whatever. Uh, just no panic. Just a, a guy, a technician, who this season has known what he's doing, but aided and abetted by a manager who's clearly said to him, there's nothing I can teach you about football. do not show everybody. You know, if you do this for me, everybody will see the real Tom Rogic." And I think that's what's happened this season. He, he, he has. He, it's, it's without a doubt his greatest season in a Celtic jersey. And if he canvassed a lot of the Celtic supporters in, in the summer if, when he was supposed to be leaving, they wouldn't have batted an eyelid. Mm-hmm. there's never a vital cog in this green and white machine Ange. you know it just, just shows you what happens when you get the right manager you play the right way and you suit certain players and he and he just suits this system and he, some of his some of his performances this season have been wonderful and some of the goals he scored have been pretty sublime but he's just he's made such a valid contribution that you can't envisage him not being in the team even at times when he's been rotated you've been like oh, I wonder how the team will cope without him in it. You know, but he, he, he looks as if he's enjoying it again, doesn't he? For a while, he was kind of, you know, because he had such ability and he was a really gifted footballer, you were like, you know, produce it, Tom, and he couldn't. You no, know, I, I for the life, we don't understand why he could only go 60-odd minutes. But that was clearly tactical on Sunday, what he clearly said to Tom, Give me 62, 65 minutes, whatever it is. But give me all of your best, and he gave all of your best, as Alan said. You and he's did uh, the Celtic by numbers uh, comparison with Aaron Ramsey. You know he was a he was a vital component in that winning Celtic team on Sunday, and long may it continue. Because what a gifted, uh, and naturally gifted, talented, and sublime footballer we have at our disposal.
3: Absolutely, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, Red Scotland says for me, Tommy Rogic will go down as a Celtic legend. The man has given us his entire career, and I respect that, especially for a foreign lad who clearly didn't support Celtic as a boy. Um, thanks, Tommy. I think that's the thing as well. You can you can you can debate whether the word legend is overused or whether it applies to Tommy Rogic, but one thing that you can't deny is that you know he's given this club the the majority and certainly the best years of his career, and uh, any Anybody who does that deserves deserves the respect to the Celtic support, but especially in the case of Tom Rogic who who's as gifted a footballer as he is. Um Alan, I wanted to go back to to Maida and Yakimakis and as we as we touched upon. <clears throat> um I think it's probably a you know, I might be speaking out of turn here, but it's probably a a godsend for you as somebody who does statistics that you're able to prove the the effectiveness of what they do because so much of what they do isn't, you know, the glamorous side of the game. Um, what have you made of their recent performances considering, and especially on Sunday as well, considering, you know, Kyogo came in, had a, an absolutely amazing start and has kept it up. Hatati came in, had an amazing start and has perhaps dropped off a little bit. Um you know, so many of the players that we've had have come in and slotted right into the team, but Maeda and Yakimakis uh, took a little bit more time to get settled. Have you seen from your side of things, uh, th- th- you know, an improvement in their performances or, or or anything in the stats that prove that you know they are being effective members of the team for, for Ange?
1: No, absolutely. So I mean, you know, when when you when you give a manager the ability to uh, recruit players that fit into a thought out and coherent system rather than having an unofficial director of football impose players upon you then guess what you know you you get better outcomes and when that manager is clearly highly competent like Postagoglu is then you know don't be surprised when you get good results and what we're seeing here is that players are being asked to do jobs that they are capable of doing in a system that they understand and have bought into so, even you know, even players that maybe form a dip for a couple of seasons, or even players who potentially aren't of the caliber necessary for Celtic to get to where they want to get to, and I'm thinking of the left hand side of the defense here, um, mm-hmm. are still performing to a to a good level because they're performing in a coherent system, uh, in in a system that the team understands. I recommend you listen to Callum McGregor's interview after the game where he talks about how Celtic set up in the second half. And you don't often hear players talking about the tactical setup of the team and talking about um, medium blocks and all this sort of thing. And what I took from that is that the players completely understood yeah. What Postecoglou does is he he keeps it simple for his players, and if you keep things simple for people, you get you'll get better. results. He doesn't overcomplicate the game for them, and um, they knew what the jobs were and, and they did them. I looked at um, back to Jack then, so I looked at actually this morning because somebody asked me a really interesting question on Twitter, which was, you know, d- d- is Jack defensive output surprising to you? And so I thought, look back at some of his data, and and, and when he played for Venlo uh, in Holland last season is actually his defensive numbers were even even more. Now, you might say, well, of course you are because Venlo got relegated, et cetera, et cetera, but that's not how it works, right? He's a striker. So, you know, Celtic strikers don't necessarily have high um, uh, uh, defensive output, not because Celtic are dominant, but because that's not the job that historically they've been asked to do. So it's more to do with the style of play and the job and the role that you've been asked to do that would generate those kind of numbers. And his numbers for Venlo were excellent. And so what, what really I, I take from that is that Postacoglu's seen him and what he did for Venlo? Thought that's how I want my striker to play, and recruited him to play yeah. like that. I mean, it sounds simple, doesn't it? <laughs> I, know funny <laughs> I
0: know
1: it's, it's funny. So, so, so he's doing he's doing the job that he, he was recruited to do because Postacoglu knows he can do it. If you look back at Postacoglu's at, um, Giac- data from his time at AEK Athens, for example, and it, it's just it just pales into insignificance. Somebody at Venlo thought this guy can press from the front he can be a nuisance off the ball he can do lots of other things and by the way when we do get the ball don't ask him to drop deep don't ask him to link the play don't ask him to to create just get him in the box and get the ball into him and, and very sensible because clearly he's very he's excellent at those things and that's exactly how postecoglou uses him same with maida maida's a player that obviously postecoglou knew well uh, from his time uh, in japan and, and he's being asked to do a job that he knows uh, Maida is perfectly capable of doing. And guess what? You know his defensive numbers are great. His, his attacking numbers are great as well. So because you know he's he's getting into the positions that he's comfortable getting into, playing the playing in a system that he's comfortable playing in. And it's that that's the, that's the key thing for me. Um, you know. I, I, all season, the question that I've been wrestling with in my mind is how do we define Angeball? And we all have a bit of a laugh about this? But Angeball isn't about inverted fullbacks. Angeball isn't about, you know, pressing from the front. Angebal is about the team, and it's yeah. about everybody pulling in one direction. And, it, and it's the most basic and uncommon, common sense principles <laughs> of leadership and how to organise people to do a good job. And that's what Angeball is. <laughs>
3: It's it's an interesting point, Tony, that, that that Alan brings up. You know, very often I I really enjoy listening to the huddle breakdown that, that Alan appears on, and, and you know, I'm I'm a bit of a geek, so I love all the stats. I can't quote them, I can't remember them, but I just love hearing it because it offers a different perspective. But when I'm watching a game, I'm much more like yourself, and, and and do the eye test and like to compare how the eye test compares to the numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um. You know, it's interesting, like like, like Alan says, breaking it down there into, there are jobs you have when you have the ball, there are jobs you have when you don't have the ball. Football, in a lot of ways, is as simple as that. And listening to that Callum McGregor interview that, that Alan brought up, that, you know, it would pay, it was so contrasting to that one he, he, he gave, I think, after the defeat against Livingston last season, where he basically said, we didn't know what our jobs were. Yeah. It, it, what do you make of that, like what Alan says about this, you know, this very in some ways simple approach that Ange has brought to the team where it's a case of, I need people to do this job, who does the job and identifying them and getting them in.
4: See all the good players, who talk about all the good managers, what what do they say? We like the manager because he keeps it simple. Yeah. Because football is basically a simple game, but it's all about the team collective and stuff and I agree we are. Jack Marcus, and Maeda, that's arguably the two best non-scoring forward uh, displays that I've seen from uh, Celtic forwards in a long, long time. And I'm just talking about, the. oh, I said it earlier, just if they're not going to score, but they're still going to affect the game. You know, normally if you have forwards who are not scoring, they're not affecting the game. These two guys affected the game. 46 and 47 what was that what do you call it Alan shutdowns or pressure or uh, whatever pressure,
1: pressures Yeah. yeah
4: pressures. you know what I mean that's affecting the football match you know and I, and again that's what I'm just telling them if you're no scoring you're doing that you're being a nuisance you're affecting the play so every Celtic player who goes out onto a park is going to affect the play in some shape or form but as a collective it's, it's going to work because if you do this this and this keep the message simple. That's how you, you build winning teams and everybody's comfortable with that and comfortable with the message. <laughs> my dad used to always say, he ran amateur teams and he said, he always said this saying, you can't put four gallon and two gallon heads.
0: Nice.
4: I've that about with me all my life. Even when yeah. you know, you're know you reading something or you're trying to educate yourself and I would always turn and say, four gallon and a two gallon head.
1: Yeah. it's like it's like the old Homer Simpson thing. Is you know, yeah. if you if you give me one piece of information, I've got I've got to take one out to make room for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly, <laughs> that's
4: exactly it. Right? So I'm capable of X, but not Y. That kind of thing, right? So and yeah. I, and that's it with the Celtic players.
2: Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com internet for details.
4: Everybody's comfortable. They're happy. There is no overload, despite the fact that you can be overloaded with information, with everything. It's clearly simple. These guys are comfortable now in that setup. And Ange told you himself. I remember asking him what makes an Ange player, and he told me about the Clairefontaine thing. He said, I don't send good players. I send good players that will, f- players that will fit into my system. I envisage them playing in my team. So he's envisaged Jack Amaki's playing in his team, scoring goals, but doing what he did on Sunday. And he's clearly envisaged Maida scoring goals, but doing what he did on Sunday because he had knowledge of Maida. That's what they bring to the table. Just because these guys never hit the ground like Kyogo or Hitati, you know, people were questioning, oh, he's been brought in a striker to school. No, no, he's been brought in to be a cog in the machine of a team when it's well-oiled functions. And that's what we're seeing right now. You know, they're approaching something of being a right, good football team and everybody comfortable in their roles within that team and comfortable within, with what the manager is telling them. And hopefully they will get better if they win the title and get access to money, more money, the Champions League money, and the manager can spend it and bring in players to improve it, and take it to the next stage. But you cannot underestimate the job the manager has done and what he has done with the, the mentality of that football team. And his and Alan said to have it's not about inverted fullbacks. It is about the collective. I wrote a piece the other week as well, saying, and I was quoting Shankley again, saying, "As a form of socialism without the politics, it's everybody in it together. That's what Celtic is." And I said that Andy's comment, "Our brand of football was socialism without the politics." That's that's what I hung it on, and that's what it is. Everybody buying into the message that the managers saying, and it being structured to the point where they all understand it, they're all on point, and that was the epitome of it at Ibrox on Sunday, everybody being comfortable in the Celtic jersey and in their role in, in the team and effect in a football match. And it was it was great to watch it. Genu- it was one of the few Celtic or Rangers-Celtic games that I watched where I wasn't actually that nervous. can't say that about a lot of them. But I, I genuinely, even when we went one down, I was still kind of were good enough to come back from this. The minute it went one each, I was so relaxed that it wasn't true. And I don't like feeling like that. But just the way the team was playing, it's the way they, the way they make you feel that you, you've got a degree of confidence in this team and in this manager to go out and win football matches. And that's what they're doing. They're 32 games unbeaten domestically. It tells its own story.
1: It doesn't. It, the only the only caution to that, and I completely agree with all of that. The only caution to that is, is, is as Bodo Glimp showed, and uh, and others yeah. in Europe showed, it it it, it won't scale, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and we need we need we need better players for it to yeah, scale not, the European level. And, and but listen, listen. The exciting thing is that we are literally at, still at the beginning here. We're still yeah. very early into the post-Coglu cycle. Um, there's a lot more to come. But there's increasing signs of Celtic becoming a good team, isn't there? You, yeah. you know well, and and what helped is that the you know Van Bronckhorst has now had two matches against Postacoglu Celtic and he's screwed up the way that he set the team up in both occasions. Now he might have less resources to play with potentially, but it's looking very much like Lennon against Gerard, where Lennon simply didn't know how to cope with yeah, yeah. with 3 four three three compact shape. He just couldn't Find a way to break it down, and Van Bronckhorst again doesn't look like he's got he's worked out how to how to get the better possible So that's all. That's very encouraging, of course.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think I think what Tony raised there about the um, and Alan, what you raised there as well about the. Um, finding players to fit the role, I think that's probably what made them a very successful international manager. When you're working with a limited pool of players, so often we've seen, especially in the England set-up, uh, uh, managers go down the route of trying to find the best 11 players in the country and put them on a pitch. And, and the, you fall down as far as, as I'm concerned when you do that, because you know you can have the 11 best footballers in the pitch, but if you've got... If you're trying to play Lampard, Gerrard and Scholes in the same team, then it's not going to work because there's no system that could accommodate the three of those. Um, and, and Ange did that again uh, for Australia and seems to be doing that for Celtic. As you say, Alan, I think improving the quality of the players in the team is what's going to help us scale it on a European level. But certainly this is a good base off which to work. Um, so, and, and we'll see how far he can take us with that base. Speaking of... <laughs> Aussie people that we love to see. Adelaide Tim, hail hail from the South Aussie desert magic stuff yet again. Love to hear our new Aussie contingent and viewers watching us, um, whether it's following the manager um, or otherwise. Um, And just another interesting point brought up by um, Gary Melrose watching on on YouTube. A Dutch punter on a blog might have been uh, hail hail 67 it might well have been because I know that uh, John and um, Hamish over there get lots of really great guests said GG thrives on chaos in the box that's when he really comes alive i <laughs> when we stopped floating in high balls and started driving in low crosses too that's yeah a really good point and I think like we've alluded to Yakimakis um, is at his best when he's uh, working on instinct uh, and with a first touch um, when he has too much time to think about it he might be one of those two gallon heads trying to fit in four gallons as you said, <laughs> 20, that might be where he falls short and I'm not saying that as a disrespect because I don't even know if I'm as far as a two gallon head but we will we'll, we'll leave that I, there.
4: Um I was I was one of those type of followers. Well, <laughs> I played for my father's team. So
3: there you go. All right, Okay. So
4: mm-hmm. that he was, was aiming it at me. I was
3: careful. going to say that took on a more personal significance. Yeah. Yeah. Of course
4: <laughs> you know that to search your feelings.
3: Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, Alan, looking ahead, we've obviously got St. Johnston uh, at the weekend. We've we've got this the split coming up, um, and and a close out to the season. Where, as we've said before, we we want nothing more than to have the league in our hands, and and it certainly is at the moment. Uh, you know, it's only going to be down to us whether we we get across the line or not. Alan, what's your what's your summation of what we need to do? to get over the line. Um, is it more of the same for you? Is there anything slightly different you would do going into the end of the season?
1: No, I mean certainly in the you know domestic context, I'm really encouraged by week on week by the flexibility that we're seeing, the the way that the team's responding to to different challenges. And as 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 as, you, as Tony rightly said, you know, Hostakoglu talks about about this and in in, in a, lot, a lot of his interviews about the team. You know, responding to chaos, responding to disappointment, and just getting, you know, dusting down, just getting on with it, not not losing focus, believing in what you're doing, believe in the process, to, and you will you will recover. And we, I think we've seen because we've mainly because we've now got a lot of people back uh, fit at this you know having struggled all season at the right part of the season we've got now got a large squad to choose from a lot of options now we've seen tactical flexibility so for example on um on saturday uh, when we play st Johnson st Johnson are in probably the best form of, of what's been a t- terrible season for them and they're they're obviously um Six points ahead of Dundee and the six points behind the team above, so they're they're going to want to keep that gap to to Dundee. Uh, so you know, no surprise, they're going to play pretty defensively. They play three centre backs. They're going to be stationed across the six yard box. They ain't going to move. They're probably going to play two defenders in the wide wing back areas as well, and they're going, and they're going to pack. You know, play play a pretty low block uh, again. But again, you know, and that and we we've, we've in the in the last probably two years been really worried about that. But what I saw against Livingston, against Mirren, and even against Under United to some extent, is a team now that's finding different solutions to those sorts of problems. I think, you know, the Maida and his pace and the runs that he makes, the angles that he takes, Jackamakis, the fact that he can, you know, he, he's got the, the touch of a, you know, a touch of silk in terms of his, his final finishing touch versus, you know, he's pretty rambunctious uh, a lot of the other time. That gives a lot of variety to the attacking play now. And then you know, if Kyogo comes back, that's just another high quality, different way of playing. So I'm kind of quite feeling in, we're in a good place in terms of the way that I see the team responding to challenges, the problem solving capabilities of the team, the way that coglu is being flexible, and the choices that we now have. That wh- whatever teams we come up against, I think we'll, I think we'll, we'll be too strong and we'll find a way. Um, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling quite good about it. <laughs> I guess in summary.
3: Yeah, it's. Uh... It's always a scary thought, isn't it, Tony? When you start feeling good about things for Celtic, because that's a, <laughs>
0: well, yeah. that's
3: always a but uh, w- Tony, for you, what's the what's the um, areas of concern or, or the areas of optimism against St Johnston tomorrow? Um, is, a, is it a game that you think we can win comfortably, or is there any areas of concern for you?
4: I don't really. Feel, I feel like Alan. I'm I'm pretty confident in this team's ability to problem solve and win football matches. And that's not, bearing in mind from where they've came from, they've worked hard. Nobody's handed them this six-point lead in the, in the title race. They've, you know, they've come from six behind themselves to do this. And they've turned it over, you know, in a short space of time. with A, a great mentality, a manager who's very driven and players who, who's, who's got the players focused and driven himself. you know. So I, uh, yeah, it, what you always have to gather against is if I had an almighty high last week you don't want the kind of crashing low so I, I expect Ange to rotate maybe keep it a bit fresh might see Keogh go back uh, at some point you know just for you know, to give everybody a lift seeing him back but we've got, we, as Alan said there, we've got tremendous options see if he starts with the same team as last week or more or less Look at the options you could have on the bench: Kyogo, Abada, Forrest, Turnbull. Uh, that, that right? Yeah, yeah.
1: I mention I mention I mention Beton as well because he he was actually tremendous when he came on. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean. I'm
4: talking about but that. It'll arguably yeah. the strongest offensive bench you've had all season. Mm-hmm. At this, at this part of the business end. That's a wonderful thing to fall back on if you need it. You know, and I'm not saying he'll start with the same team, but if he starts with a new place of the same team. But you're now talking about options here. I mean, you we won that game last week without the services of Kyogo. That was unthinkable. A few months ago, to go to Ibrooks without him leading the line, wasn't it? Yeah. And people saying it would be Maida my, my and Jackie Marcus up top. You would be like, People were like, oh no. You know what I mean? And, and neither of them scored, but played a prominent part in winning a football match at the home of your rivals. To put you six clear with six games to go, you need what, 13 out of 18 starting tomorrow against St Johnston. Go nine clear, ramp up the pressure for 24 hours, and the pendulum swings back to Rangers. But like Celtic have done most part of this season, they've found a way to win a football match, and tomorrow's no different. Absolutely,
3: you know, absolutely. I think uh...
4: a way to win a football match, and your confidence is in the manager and those players to do that job
3: I think Really, uh, I hope my confidence isn't misplaced, but you've got me right up for that, Tony, with that, that speech at the end. Um, <laughs> Colin Watt, who uh, is a fellow Axom contributor, uh, update from Angus Presser. So, this is live, hot off the press, as I like to say. Uh, only one player unavailable for tomorrow is Forrest, uh, one week away, everyone else fit and available. So, that's, uh, that's a good sign, obviously, not for Forrest, but for, for everybody else. Um,
4: yeah, I've had a badder tumble and Kyogo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> interesting that that comment about everyone's available except forest uh, yeah. has been used with to the exclusion of Julian and welsh which is a bit strange maybe that's a topic for another day
3: yeah uh, it's an interesting thing to get into the future of Julian is a could be an entire podcast in and of itself but um uh, for anybody wanting to know the, the content from the Ange press conference will be up in the channel uh, as soon as possible. Um, Colin was also at a pre-match press conference with Josh uh, Yakimakis yesterday and the content uh, will be up in the channel as soon as possible as well for that. Um, and we will, as always, as we have been for every game this season, be back for live match coverage for St Johnston tomorrow. Uh, hopefully we're on the run-in now and we can we can get it over the line and get it sealed uh, would have thought at the start of this season we would be would be talking in those terms but it's it's a lovely place to be in and uh, certainly not one I think any of us are taking for granted um, Alan, as I said, you can follow Alan at Celtic by numbers on Twitter, you can hear him uh, every week on the, the Huddle Breakdown podcast as well, Tony you can catch your musings on uh, the Celtic way and I believe you're now verified, you've got one of the fancy blue ticks on Twitter, is that right?
4: I believe I have. I don't know what it means. That's one of those four gallon and two gallon head things that I don't understand. <laughs> no, I mean, people, try, people try to explain it to me, and it still doesn't make any sense. But uh, uh, all I know is it's a good thing. Yes. So. Are-
3: I believe so. Uh, uh, something to do with anybody who's impersonating you doesn't can't impersonate you anymore. So anybody that might have wanted oh. to do that—that
1: you've <laughs> oh, you eh? <laughs> that, that would be quite a challenge, wouldn't it? Really, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a good Alan?
4: <laughs>
3: Was there only one Tony Haggerty? But we'll leave it there.
4: <laughs> um, yeah.
3: Thanks very much, everybody, for watching. Uh, Like I said, we'll be back over the weekend. Plenty of other content on the channel for you as well. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Alan. And we will catch you all again very, very soon.